0: This Baseball Tonight the podcast.
1: This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, March 6, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Yesterday was a really hard day. On Sunday, we got terrible news. Dave Wills, the 58-year-old play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Rays, passed away. I just saw him on Saturday. He did uh, the radio for the Rays exhibition and game against the Yankees in Tampa. Uh, I didn't know him that well, uh, knew him well enough to say hi, uh, but boy, he was beloved in the baseball world. So many people on Sunday after this news broke, tweeting out you know, their memories of Dave, including you know, guys like Kevin Kiermaier. If you didn't know Dave Wills' voice, here was a call that he made for the Tampa Bay Rays.
0: Good lead at second, the pitch, swing and a looper in the right field. That's going to get through for a base hit. Kiermaier, late break gets the third he's being waved home throw to the plate too late in the second base goes the rosarena the rays have come all the way back and have tied this game at five
1: we'll have more on dave wills coming up in our conversation with tim kirkchen over the weekend players and umpires continued to adapt to the new pitch clock rules and it was max scherzer not surprisingly who found a loophole he was pitching in a game and held the ball and when the hitter called his first timeout, his only timeout, Max was now fully in control of the pitch clock. And on the next pitch, Max quick-pitched the hitter because it was Max's understanding that the hitter had to be ready whenever the pitcher was ready, regardless of the time and the clock. The umpire interceded, a call was made against Max, and afterward, Max talked about the sequence and about finding the worst of the pitch clock now and how MLB needs to clarify some things.
2: So, you called time and I came set. So, you can't say I didn't come set. You know, that's where, you know, we're all working through this, whether it's the umpires, us, hitters, you know, everybody. You know, all right, he calls time. I come set. You know, I get the green light. His eyes are up. I'm throw the ball. Like, I thought that was, you know, a clean, clean pitch. He said no. Okay, so we got to figure out where the limit is. I'm, I'm letting Nito call the game. It's just when I got, like, hey, I want to throw this pitch in this, this situation. It works. Um, so you could tell they, they were ready for you know for me to work quick today, um, and you know you can use that to your advantage and um, you know speeding up and slowing down the game.
1: Here was Max talking about his confusion with the pitch clock that led to the quick pitch.
2: That one was a little confusing to uh, to me because the umpire had time and he he, he makes a makes a gesture that like you, he gives a signal like you can go I go, uh, you know, his eyes are up and then I get called for a quick pitch and a quick pitch balk so. Um, you know, just you know, you got to press the limit on what you can can and can't do. You know, press it today. Uh, you know, find out what you can and can't can't do with this. Um, so, you know, you got to press the limit to find out uh, where where the boundary is on this. Good news for the Philadelphia Phillies:
1: Bryce Harper, who's recovering from Tommy John surgery on his throwing elbow, will report to the Phillies camp on Wednesday and will be around the team and continuing his rehabilitation. He's not expected to come back until some, sometime in the middle of this season. Mookie Betts hit a home run over the weekend. Here's the sound of that.
0: And the pitch. And he drills one deep to left field. He's done it again. Mookie Betts has two hits in spring training. Both are home runs. And the Dodgers lead one nothing. Yeah, that was
1: from the Dodgers television network, Tim Nebert, with that call. Uh, Pete Alonso also went deep over the weekend.
0: Pitch a 1-0. Alonso swings, hits a high drive into left field. Walker chasing over to the corner at the wall, runs out of room. Polar Pete touches them all here in the top of the fifth inning. A home run for Alonso, and the Mets lead seven to one in Jupiter. The Red Sox got
1: bad news before the game on Thursday. Alex Cora was talking about how great James Paxton looked in camp. Well, he's hurt again. It is a grade one strain of his right hamstring. And it seems unlikely he'll be ready for the opening day roster. The Rangers and left-handed reliever Will Smith agreed to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Matt Olson is my son's pick to win the National League MVP this year. He's having a great spring. 3-1 at a high-towering fly ball to right. McKinney going back
0: to the wall. Olson just went deep again. That's his third home run of the spring, his second in as many days. And the Braves have a 2-1 lead in the bottom of the first inning.
1: Spencer Torkelson of the Tigers made a great play.
2: A 1-0. Popped up. Back to first base. Torkelson retreating. That's in no man's land. Torkelson with a tremendous sliding catch. He was sliding feet first towards the wall. He reached back with his left hand and gloves it off the bat of Farmer. Defensive play of the day.
1: And we got resolution in the situation with the White Sox pitcher, Mike Clevenger. He will not face discipline under Major League Baseball's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. The league announced this on Sunday. He has voluntary, voluntarily agreed to submit to evaluations by the treatment boards, which cover domestic violence and, quote-unquote, drugs of abuse, and also agreed to comply with any recommendations those boards make Clevenger 32 had been under investigation after being accused of domestic abuse by the mother of one of his children. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxydectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
0: Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game with Tim Kirkshire. It never disappoints you on
1: baseball tonight. Tim Kirkshire covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing today? I'm well, Buster. How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm going to be better after I ask you this first question. I need you to translate this.
2: what
1: was that what'd you think
3: what language was that in am i supposed to understand that i told you buster the biggest mistake i've ever made in my life was taking french in high school, and college, instead of Spanish. Now 33% of our players speak Spanish. And now that Eric Gagne is out of the league, I don't have anyone to speak French to anymore. What was that? Was that Japanese? I can't even understand it.
1: That was Japanese. That was Shohei Otani hitting one of his two home runs in Japan's Exabin win over the Henshin Tigers today. He had a monster game. Uh, So that was the call of one of those home runs, a three-run shot. By the way, Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. The best seat in that house would have been where that ball landed. So, Tim, yeah, we figured you'd be the one to be able to tell us exactly what was going on there.
3: No, I I don't know any Japanese, but I will tell you that when I covered the Orioles buster and John Miller was the play-by-play guy, we go out for pizza and beer after occasional game and John did an impersonation of Vin Scully one night speaking in Japan, in Japanese. It was the funniest thing I've ever heard. The inflection was perfect, the impersonation was perfect. I had no idea what he was saying, but he was speaking Japanese in Vin Scully's voice. It was just priceless.
1: So uh, in my rounds this spring, I, I found myself time and again having conversations with players about the contract that Shohei Otani is gonna get in the future because tim you know last year last fall uh, i made this statement that i thought what we saw from Aaron judge last year was the greatest season by any player e- ever because of the pressure because of how great he was because of how difficult the pitching is now and i feel like that might last one year like it feels like we're gonna what we're gonna see from otani this year is going to be absurd what do you think
3: yeah um He's like no one we've ever seen. And I I believe, and I'm in the vast minority on this, that if there was a DH in 1927 or 23, Babe Ruth would have pitched and been the DH and done similar things to Otani. That's how great Babe Ruth was. But it's a different time now. And to be this athletic, to throw this hard, to hit the ball this hard, to run up these offensive numbers and absurd pitching numbers, and still, as I've told you many times, watching him run out a triple, is my favorite part of his game because of how fast he is. He's going to break all the records for salary, contract. He's going to do things. He's still not even close to being done doing spectacular things. And for, for baseball's sake, we need him to have another sensational year, and we get to watch him even more.
1: So you famously last week asked Hein Bloom on our exhibition uh, broadcast whether he can dunk. Uh, which you know, for Heim Bloom being like a six-one guy, maybe that he's right on the fringe of whether or not he can do that. I don't think people realize how big Shohei Otani is. Like when you stand next to him, it's shocking that an athlete is that good. And I, maybe it's appropriate he's playing with Mike Trout because Trout's the same way. Like you don't get this, you don't. I don't think truly understand that Trout could be transitioned into a you know strong safety role right, right away. That's how
3: big he is. And here's Otani, who's actually bigger than Trout. Right. And a little context. You challenged me to ask Heim Bloom if he's ever dunked it, because you know I'm a dope, and you know how much I love basketball. And it's always an intriguing question to me when you ask a baseball player if he can dunk, or when's the last time he dunked? You know. And Heim Bloom said, "I can't dunk. I've never dunked. But the, when when I do dunk for the first time, you'll be the first one to know." So it was a stupid question, but I did it because you challenged me, and I hate to lose to Buster. So, but you're right about Otani, and I've said this a million times, Buster. The average fan has no comprehension how big these guys are until they stand right next to them. That's why we missed all those years, those two years in COVID, because. There's no substitute for walking through a clubhouse, seeing a guy maybe for the first time. And the first thing that you routinely say is he's bigger than I thought he was. And that's Shohei Ohtani. He is a graceful athlete. And to move like that, to run like that at that size, it is just breathtaking to watch. Is it
1: possible that Ohtani could win the Cy Young Award and the MVP this year?
3: Uh, any anything is possible with him i will say he won't win the cy young award because i don't as great as he is he's good enough to win the cy young but they're going to protect him and when in doubt they're going to give him another day so he might not get 32 starts he might not strike out 240 guys he might not win 20 games but yes he's good enough to win both and even if we're just discussing whether he's good enough to win both just proves how remarkable he really is. Didn't it feel like last year that he just went
1: next level when it came to his command as a pitcher? Like it felt like in his first few years that he would have those days when he'd spray the ball around. And if you had a team that was patient, you could wear him down, make him throw a lot of pitches, get him out, you know, 105 pitches in four innings. It doesn't feel
3: like that guy's around anymore. No, and that's, again, that's why he's so great, is he's made these adjustments. He recognized no one could hit this split, but in order to be a complete pitcher and throw as many innings as I can, i got to develop everything else, which he did last year, threw them all with command. He's going to have an even better year this year than he did last year, which is really saying something.
1: Give me your projection on contract numbers for him, because at this moment, and, and again, I've been talking about this with veteran players all spring, where these numbers are going to land. I do think when you get the Dodgers involved, when you get the Mets involved, as dynamic as he is, the biggest draw is he, as big of a draw as he is, selling tickets with that guy, that you might see a guy get a $60 million salary. You know, they'll skip over the number five and go right to six because there's nobody else
3: like him. Right. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we went past $500 million and got to $600 million. So that would be 10 years at $60 million a year on average, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. And Buster, you hit it on the head. We've got the Dodgers, who at least from a distance, appear to be saving up for him. We have the Mets, who are saving up for everyone that they need. And when those two teams are in play, not to mention the Angels, whom are going to have a really hard time surviving on the high level without him. They're going to be in whatever mix. I think we're going to start or at least we're going to start or finish at 600 million. That's where I think we're going.
1: Yeah. And speaking of the Mets, uh, the other day I sent this tweet out about their spending uh, into the future and to try to put that into context, because there's been a lot of criticism of Steve Cohen, as you know, with other teams. But there clearly is some level of, uh, planning that they're going through in terms of how to structure their payroll because they have so many guys who are on you know two-year contracts, three-year contracts, expiring after this year. And so I looked this up to put into context not only what the Mets are doing, but also what the San Diego Padres are doing. Tim, if you look at contracts after 2024, in other words, after Max Scherzer, after uh, Justin Verlander, The Mets have a total of $484 million in commitments after the 2024 season. The San Diego Padres have commitments of $1.01 billion, which is why I'm sure you're hearing the same voice as I am. Folks around the game are losing their minds over what the Padres are doing. They can't believe that that team is spending that much future, uh, that many future dollars. And... I've heard a refrain from a lot of executives, from a lot of agents. Hey, if you uh, are a player on the Padres who is in a position to get a contract extension right now, jump on it because no team is running their business like the Padres are. So if you're Juan Soto, then yeah, go out and ask for $500 million because there's a good chance you're going to get it. If you are Josh Hader, ask for the Edwin Diaz deal of $100 million. Because there's no other team that would
3: consider that right at this moment, maybe other than the Padres. What do you think? I'm with you. Now's the time if you're on the Padres. And if I'm Juan Soto, that's the first thing I'm thinking. Machado just got $350 million and he's five years older than me. I can get to $500 million and get a chance to play for the next 10 years or so in San Diego on what in theory will be a very good team. Same thing with Hater. Why would he want to go to free agency if he could stay on a really good team and they'll give him $100 million? So this is absurd where the Padres are right now. They already have three players signed into their 40s at enormous amounts of money, but apparently they have the money to spend. And as we said, Buster, we yell at owners for not spending enough money. Now we're yelling at them for spending too much money. It's a tricky, slippery slope.
1: Yeah, I love what they're doing. I love the fact, you know, Peter Seidler, especially given the, you know the time I spent in San Diego and knowing that marketplace and seeing the passion they have for the team. I asked Peter Seidler when we were standing and chatting at Petco Park last year about, boy, you know, you guys are going beyond. And this was before, <laughs> before a lot of these contracts, Musgrove and Darvish and the Machado extension and the trade for Juan Soto. And he just looked at me and was completely calming, as we'll be fine. Like he, he, he could tell they have a plan. I would say. That there absolutely is a part of me that watches this play out and say, "Boy, I hope this doesn't become like the Detroit Tigers, where you know Mike Illich for years their their late owner spent because he wanted to win." And the refrain among other teams was, "Boy, at some point there's going to be a a, a a you know an adjustment after Ms. Mr. Illich passes on." And the Tigers have never been the same. Have never spent close to the same amount of money. Uh, I, you know, and and the the franchise. Let's face it, has gone through a big downturn since all that.
3: Absolutely, and that's what that's the danger moving forward. But I've spoken to Peter Seidler too, and he, and he looks right in the eye and, and says something similar that we know what we're doing here. We'll see. All right. So
1: over the weekend, uh, the pitch clock uh, came into focus for some uh, pitchers. And clearly Major League Baseball trying to make the adjustment. We talked at the top of the show about uh, Max Scherzer the other day, <laughs> trying to find a loophole uh, in the uh, pitch clock system, uh, quick pitching a, a hitter after the hitter had called timeout. And Tim, on the other hand, uh, I also got a chance on Friday to watch Garrett Cole pitch. And it was so interesting that after what Scherzer did in Friday afternoon, uh, you know, we're speaking with Garrett Cole after his outing, which was terrific. He didn't try to find a loophole. He didn't uh, you know, run the pitch device by himself. He just followed his catcher and his whole focus was on timing and about working within the timing of the rules as opposed to finding those loopholes. I, I thought it was fascinating that you had two really smart pitchers who really care about what they do, and yet they have a completely different approach to adjusting to this thing.
3: Right. And I spoke to Garrett Cole and I asked him point blank, what do you think of the rules before he's pitching a game? And he goes like that. He looks at me and he goes, love the rules. I asked Scherzer, the mad scientist. He said, love the rules. I asked Justin Verlander, what do you think of the rules? He said, love the rules. Bring them on. This is what really smart, great pitchers are able to do is to understand these are the rules and here's how I'm going to work them to my benefit, we've seen Scherzer do this multiple times. This will be the challenge for hitters. Buck Showalter told me, I'm sure he told you, first day of spring training, the hitters are going to have more trouble adjusting to the clock than the pitchers. And that's what I've seen so far. Now, both sides have tremendous adjustments already made and more to come if they're going to be ready on March the 30th. But I've been pleasantly surprised, and you took the lead on this, how how much easier it is for these guys to make these adjustments than I thought it was going to be. I'm not suggesting it was easy, but I, I, the day I saw Aaron Boone uh, that we did the game last Wednesday, he said, Tim, yesterday we played a game in Orlando without a clock. And he said, We played in two and a half hours because our guys were already conditioned to you get the ball and you throw it, you get in the box and swing the bat. That was the most encouraging sign of spring training is that these guys have already been conditioned to do this the way they're supposed to now. You said on the podcast it was about 50-50 in
1: the reaction you were getting from players. And then later in the week, I saw you a few days later, and you're like, you know what? It's shifted since the more people I've talked to. Where would you put those numbers now? Yeah,
3: it's up to maybe even 70-30. And I probably talked to 50 players, slash coaches, slash managers. And again, not all 50 were happy about this. Some suggested this is going to go haywire. It's going to blow up. They're going to change the rules. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think our players are smart enough to know they don't have a choice here. Major League Baseball has no interest in saying we're changing the game here. Oh, but we're going to, but once we get to opening game, we're going to, we're going to change it again. Mark Kana, as you know, Buster, is a really smart guy who's very analytical and very thoughtful. And he, he told me the other day, he said, someday we're going to look back on when the game changed. And he said, well, we're going to look back at spring training. 2023 and identify that's when the game changed. And I think for now, at least I think he's right. At least I hope he's right that everyone's able to adjust moving forward. So, we got this
1: great question from a listener, Mark Stevens at writer Stevens. Given that some pitchers might call their own game via pitch com, when will we see a catcher shake off a pitcher for the first time? Do you <laughs> think that could
3: happen, Tim? <laughs> Look again. Anything can happen, Buster. You need to tell us what happened in the game that you and I did with Ravi and Eddie. The catcher called time. Tell us what happened. I mean, it was a great story, and only you could get to the bottom of that.
1: Well, what happened was is that the the catcher tried to call time. Then the home plate umpire Andy Fletcher uh, called a violation on him. So it was an automatic ball for the hitter. And then I went out and asked Andy Fletcher in between innings, Hey, what happened on that? He said, you know, I, I, this is what I called, but I don't think that's right. I gotta, I gotta look into it. And so in other words, he talked to his colleagues, they sorted through it. And then he came back to me and explained that he had gotten it wrong. And then he said, yeah, you know, we're all learning these rules at the same time. It's an adjustment for all of us. And, uh, yeah, so I, I I would be, and I've, I've known catchers who, like, I could see Jorge Posada back in the day, like if El Duque, you know, gave him a sign with a pitch come, Orlando Hernandez, I could see Posada just going, nope, shake oh, off, nope, because he would be, he was the catcher who kept ramming the number one for a fastball down even after the pitcher was shaking it off. You know right. catchers like that. Of
3: course, and that's what makes them the catcher. That's why they're so good. They are in charge of the game. Now, if they have Verlander or Scherzer or Greg Maddox, clearly those guys are in charge of the game. Jim Palmer used to tell me, the catcher only puts down a recommendation whether I should throw something. I'm making that decision. But there aren't that many pitchers like that. And I could see some real upfront catchers saying, no, 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 you're going to do what I do back here, even though you're controlling the pitch cop.
1: Yeah. And just further on, I mentioned Garrett Cole with the pitch com. I asked him the other night, do you think that, Or you know, I asked him, have you used the, the pitchers pitch com yet? And he said, no, he hadn't. He said, look, I've been taking signs from catchers for 13 years. And that, uh, you know, since he turned professional, he said that that's work for me. You know, he thinks that maybe he'll try that in spring training. But Garrett Cole is an example of a catcher, uh, of a pitcher who would rather just follow the recommendations of the catcher. He'd, he'd rather just worry about executing the pitch as opposed to Max Scherzer, different personality. Basically, he's like telling his pitcher, or excuse me, telling his catcher, yes, this is what I'm going to throw and dictating it to him. Or Zach Ranke, right? We saw right. him over the weekend using the pitch com.
3: Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> had a little trouble with the pitch com, as did some other pitchers. But again, these are the things, Buster, that we need to get out of the way when the games do not count because when this starts to happen during if it starts to happen during the regular season imagine the the, the blowback over that if you can hear what the pitcher is throwing because PitchCom isn't working or a game ends with strike three because a guy wasn't in the box these are the the kinks they have to fix before march the 30th
1: all right you got to do a series of exhibition games last week you got to talk to a lot of players Among the teams that you saw, among the games that you watched, give me something that stuck out at you, whether it was about the Red Sox or it was about the Phillies, whether it was about the Cardinals, whatever.
3: Well, I saw the Yankees, Buster, and again, I know you just saw him too, but I am fascinated by the shortstop situation there. They have Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who I think is – Certainly an above-average defensive shortstop, and I wouldn't be uncomfortable playing him 150 games in a season. However, the Peraza kid can really go, and I think he's ready to be the everyday shortstop on that team, and that's what spring training's about. Anthony Volpe is really, really good. Really good. His first batting practice of spring training, I was told, in the first live BP, it was against... Carlos Rodon, and the first pitch he hit over the batter's eye, the second pitch he hit a home run to left field, and Rodon's out there going, oh, my God, like, who is this kid? Volpe went to Dunedin one day, and Aaron Boone did not go because it was like a split-spot game, and the manager of the team, I forget who it was, came back and just went like this, just shook his head and goes, Volpe, oh, my God, like that. Josh Donaldson played in that game after Volpe got three hits Stole two bases and made a great defensive play. Walked into Booney's office, unsolicited, and said, just like that, like, how good is this kid? And I can tell you, Buster, and you learned the same thing, I'm sure. The Yankees will not be afraid to put that kid at shortstop on opening day if they determine that he's ready. Now, 22 AAA games total, maybe he won't be ready. But if he rakes like this and plays shortstop like this and runs like this, the entire spring training, to me, he is the wild card that might move them way closer to the Astros because they're going to get production potentially out of that position that they didn't get last year. And let's face it, Buster, the reason they didn't beat the Astros last year was they they couldn't hit. They couldn't score enough runs. You add a dynamic, potential dynamic offensive player that's a pretty interesting development for the Yankees.
1: So I talked about Volpe on SportsCenter over the weekend. And in preparation for that, I reached out to a bunch of rival executives and said, tell me what you see. What do you think of Volpe so far? And what I got back was makeup is off the charts, uh, that his defense is fine, you know, in terms of being able to play in the big leagues. the The way that he is exceeding expectations, what I got back from rival execs, is that there were questions about him when he was drafted, how he would be physically. Because when you meet him, and I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him, I did the other day, he's not very big. Right. And and so the thought was, you know what? He might not develop enough strength. He may not develop enough consistency to be a guy who's going to make an impact in the big leagues. And the executives with the other teams who explained that to me all said, he, you know what? He's shown. He's strong enough to be a good hitter. He's right. good enough to be that guy. But, I, you know, spending two days with the Yankees over the weekend on Friday and Saturday, I walked away basically having heard that Peraza is going to be the shortstop unless something completely unforeseen happens with IKF potentially being on the bench at the start of the year. Maybe some team steps up and makes a trade for him. And Volpe probably will start in the minor league because his one rival executive explained to me what's in front of the Yankees. He goes, look, if you start with Volpe and he struggles at the outset of the year, then it's really hard to retreat. It's hard to go backwards. That's why they think Peraza, who has big league experience, will be the guy.
3: Yeah, one of the Yankees whispered to me, hey, it's not out of the question that long-term Volpe's the second baseman and Peraza's the shortstop here for a long time. Always something to keep your eye on. All right, so we got terrible news on
1: Sunday uh, about Dave Wills, the play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Tim, this was his call when the Rays uh, eliminated the Red Sox in the 2008 American League Championship Series.
0: Now the 0-1, the Lowry on its way. Swing a ground ball the second. This should do it. Hockey has it. Takes it to second himself. This improbable season has another chapter to it. The Rays are going to the World Series.
1: Yeah, Tim, I, on Saturday, the Yankees exhibition game was against the Rays, and Dave was in the lunchroom. I didn't know him that well, you know, didn't know him enough to say hi. Uh, but he was in the lunchroom that day, and then so to see yesterday, get the news that he had passed away was a total shock. Dave will is just fifty eight years old.
3: Yeah, it was heartbreaking, Buster. He he did a game one day. And he died the next day. And that's just that just can't happen. Fifty eight years old. I love that guy. I had several long chats with him. His his love of the game was unquestioned. His knowledge of the game, his uh, passion for the game was amazing. And it's just so heartbreaking. And what I'm not sure everyone truly understands is how important a radio, TV guy, local is to the local team. They are the eyes and the ears. Or your team every night they come into your living room every night and speak to you and and just to see a member of the family like that basically die is just it's just so bad i just i just had a tear in my eye most of the morning it was so bad tim thanks for doing this okay buster
1: the atlanta braves with help from rookies Michael Harris II and Spencer Strider, Atlanta rebounded from 10 and a half games behind the Braves in the National League East to win their fifth straight division title with 101 wins. But the Braves were quickly eliminated in the playoffs by the Phillies in the wild card series.
0: Newcomers
1: The Braves traded for Sean Murphy, who is widely considered to be among the top three catchers in the majors. He'll share time with Travis Darnot in an arrangement that Atlanta hopes will serve to keep both veterans healthy and productive. Gone, but not forgotten. Dansby Swanson was with the Braves for seven seasons. And after he retires in the years ahead, he'll get huge ovations when he's introduced at anniversary gatherings of the 2021 championship team. He moved on to the Cubs for a seven-year contract
0: fault lines
1: this one's pretty obvious the Braves infield defense has been crucial in their recent dominance and Swanson was the backbone of that group now Atlanta's leadership believes that with Swanson gone Vaughn Grisham can step into that position they just need him to be an average defender maybe even a little below average if he struggles however the Braves will have a big big problem
0: The X Factor.
1: Ronald Acuna Jr. was never really fully healthy in 2022 as he comes back from an ACL injury. He missed games with soreness, didn't seem to move with as much explosiveness, and he was never really that consistent in offense. But manager Brian Sitker has said this spring that Acuna Jr. no longer has any medical restrictions, and in winter ball, Acuna Jr. looks spectacular. This is someone with the talent to hit 40 homers and steal 40 bases.
0: The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection.
1: Dakota's mathematical formula pegs the Braves with 93.2 wins. I think Acuna has a monster year, wins the National League MVP, and the Braves win 96. Hembo says 97. Sarah Langs has them at 96. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, Call one 800 directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just
0: stop by. Zero,
1: zero, nine, six.
0: This is the Numbers Game with Sarah
1: Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week?
4: I'm doing great, Buster. I just got to see seven spring training games, so I'm in baseball mode entirely. I'm very, very excited to be uh be there.
1: So yeah, and you got to see Bruce Bochi, right? You told me about your conversation with Bochy, who's known you since you were a teenager?
4: <laughs> yes, I got to see him. We had a Giants Rangers game I mentioned. Uh, your comment about the uh, basketball games you guys used to play. And he said exactly the shot that you had mentioned, but yeah, it was so great to see him. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I've known him since uh, for 10 years now, which is pretty wild.
1: So even though you were really busy doing that, you had time to do wind projections for teams for us. And as we do rolling out these team capsules, and you were a total outlier as we started the White Sox conversation. Cause I asked, you know, I, Pacoda had him projected at 78.7. Hemo landed at 78. I landed at 78. And your initial response was 86. And then you landed, right? Was it 86, the initial 84, one?
4: 84, I think.
1: Okay. Give me a but little
4: then, credit.
1: And then you pulled back, right? And then eventually you landed at 79, I think, is that you talked. So tell me about what, in your eyes, what's sort of complicating about the White Sox.
4: I did. So you talked me down, let's say, and it was a good conversation. I'm glad we had it. The reason that I maybe was too optimistic to start was just because I want to see that MVP season from Luis Roberts, and I was trying to will it into existence, but the team has a lot of question marks. I will say, as I talked about on here a couple weeks ago, I'm expecting or hoping for a breakout season from Andrew Vaughn, which could really be good for them. But again, even those two things, probably isn't 84 wins, so I stand corrected.
1: I think that, the, and I, I did this in the capsule coming up, uh, but I absolutely believe that that the rotation is the pivot point for this team because if they are to be better than what you and I expect, if they exceed all these win projections, it's going to be because of rotation, which uh, could be really, really good if Lucas Giolito bounces back if uh, Dylan Cease comes close to, you know, what he was last year, if Lance Lynn can stay healthy, Michael Kopech growing, but there are just so many cracks in the history of, uh, you know, recent history of that, that group's performance, it's hard to make sense of it.
4: It is. And, you know, as I said before, so many question marks so much variance and that's actually something i typed you and then i got uh, distracted and ended up saying something else but for me this is the team that they could win 90 games i'm not going to pick it but i could see it i could also see them winning about 75 i mean i think that these question marks have so much variance and if everyone has those great years they can be the White Sox we've been hoping to see for a while, but if they don't, we'll see what happens.
1: All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three.
4: Number three is four. So sticking in the AL Central for now, Shane Bieber was announced as being projected to be the opening day starter by uh, a Terry Francona the other day. So that would be four straight opening day starts for him, which would be just one shy of the longest opening day start strength for a player in franchise history. That record is held by Cord Kluber and Stan Kowalewski in 1917-21, to 21. so Shane Bieber is really getting out there in terms of the historic Bieber's Pictures that we've seen.
0: Number two.
4: Number two is 20, Uh, but there are a lot of numbers we can pick here because I want to talk about Jordan Walker, who has three homers, three doubles, 21 total bases this spring. He's slugging a thousand even, and he's 20 years old, and he won't turn 21 until May 22nd. So I was thinking, okay, 20 years old. We've seen 20-year-olds in the majors, Monsoto, Fernando, Tatis, Ron Acuna. I wonder who the last 20-year-old to appear in a game for the Cardinals was. It was Rick and Keel in 2000. The last position player to appear in a game that young for them was David Green in 1981. And this is my favorite part. If you were to make the opening day roster and start on opening day, the last 20 year old or younger to start on opening day for the Cardinals was Howard Freakow in 1923. It is 2023 now. Wow. And Jordan Walker seems to be threatening to be next on that list.
0: Number one.
4: Number one is 115 for 115.1. So Trey Mancini hit a home run yesterday at Salt River Peels where he had stat out and he crushed it 115.1 miles an hour off the bat. He only has one career regular season batted ball hit at least that hard. He hit a 115.5 mile an hour home run back in 2017. You talked about teams with variance. I think you could say that the other Chicago teams also have a lot of variance, probably in a lower echelon, maybe, as the White Sox. But... If Trey Mancini can be Trey Mancini, then that could be a really, really good thing for them. And I just love watching that home run, so I wanted to talk about it.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and Trey Mancini, of course, one of those guys that you root for all the time. Uh, great guy, and you know, hope uh, you know things go well uh, with the Cubs this year. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jordan Walker, 20 years old. Tim Kirchner and I were just talking about Anthony Volpe. So, for the sake of this. Particular conversation, Sarah, I'm going to make you Brian Cashman. I'm going to make you John Mazalock and ask you if you had an uber prospect, okay? Uh, how would you generally, uh, generally speaking, feel about promoting a guy, jumping him up levels in the minor leagues and have him start the year in the big leagues? You know, I mentioned to Tim that I walked away from Yankees camp saying, you know what, Peraz is probably going to be the guy because I've had executives of other teams say to me, look, it's hard to start with a Volpe in the big leagues because if it doesn't go well early, then you wind up retreating. And that's a hard thing to do. Like You have to be convinced that that guy's in the big leagues. And maybe the the more conservative route is to start him in the minor leagues, uh, keep him down there for a month, let them just uh, overmatch minor league pitching, and when they do that, that's when you promote them. Tell me if you were Cashman, if you're Mazelak, how would you feel about generally speaking the promotion of young players in these circumstances?
4: I mean, I do think it's more difficult than uh, fans often realize. To your point, you know, people see these gaudy spring training numbers and think, put them on the team, put them on the team. For me, I see a difference between a shortstop and an outfielder. And I think that that's also a consideration. Uh, You know, shortstop, you may want him to get a bit more time at the highest minor league level. Playing his position there with the outfield, it might be a bit different. uh, But generally, you know, the conservative route makes sense. But we've seen guys come up on opening day and be impactful. I mean, look at Julio last year. I know Adley wasn't there opening day, but that's because of an injury. I think he might have been last year. Otherwise, you look at those guys and the impact they made for basically the entire season. You just have to wonder. I would say that the way it's all talked about right now, it feels like Walker has more of a chance, uh, but again, it all it all comes down to that comfort level. But, you know, I am very excited to see both of these guys in the big leagues whenever that may be. But we do have to remember spring training stats are not an end-all deal.
1: So I might give you a bonus question here. Taylor, do you have that, that ambush, Sean, we played for Tim? Cause this could be a separator and in, in that you know that running debate over who's a bigger baseball fan, Tim or Sarah. Sarah uh-huh. might move into the lead depending on how she handles this ambush question. Taylor, can you cue uh-huh. that up? Yep, I got it. Okay, Sarah, I need you to tell me what's going on here. She's nodding her head. She knows the answer. She's nodding her head. What's the answer?
4: It's the Otani home run from his knee that he learned from Lars Newport, right?
1: (laughs) All right, Taylor, Sarah, (laughs) I mean, is this like end the conversation? What do you think?
0: It's over. Ring the (laughs) bell, Buster. Tim just embarrassing himself on the podcast this morning. Sarah, it's separation Monday for her. (laughs)
1: Sarah?
3: (laughs)
0: She is the champion.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Oh, my
4: goodness. Thank you, Buster. Thank you, Taylor and Sarah.
0: (laughs) The Chicago White Sox.
1: After winning a playoff berth in 2021, the White Sox went into 2022 as favorites to win the American League Central, and instead they became one of the biggest disappointments, finishing 81 and 81, a whopping 11 games behind the Guardians.
0: Newcomers
1: Pedro Grafol replaces Hall of Famer Tony La Russa as the manager. The White Sox look to balance out their lineup by adding the left-handed hitting Andrew Benintendi, who was coached by Grifol in Kansas City in 2022. Joe Kelly was signed for the bullpen, but with Liam Hendricks going through cancer treatments, Kelly could wind up taking on an even more important role. Gone, but not forgotten. The departure of Jose Abreu will be a shock to the White Sox system because Abreu not only has been an all-star for Chicago, the winner of the MVP award in 2020, but also a leader in the White Sox clubhouse. Andrew Vaughn moves into Abreu's spot at first base.
0: The X Factor.
1: Tim Anderson's 2022 season was disappointing by the high standards he has set. He wound up playing in just 79 games, scoring only 50 runs. The White Sox need a big bounce back from Anderson, and Anderson needs it too. He'll be eligible for free agency in the fall. He's missed 122 games over the last two years. Fault Lines. The front of the White Sox rotation has a chance to be really good, with Cy Young candidate Dylan Cease leading the way, followed by Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kopech. But it could turn out to be a problem area as well. Giolito got Cy Young votes in 2019, 20, and 21, and then had a 4.90 ERA last year. Lynn has had knee trouble, which limited him to 121 and 2 thirds innings last year. Kopech could be a future star, an ascension the White Sox could use right now.
0: The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection.
1: I've got the White Sox at 78 wins. Hembo says 78. Dakota says 78.7. Sarah Langs projects 79.
0: Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Monday. Our pal Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather rates and Buster, when I look at the stats from the first day of spring training, counting total hits and strikeouts, hits won out in Arizona, strikeouts took the day in Florida. Where are we per game this spring, and if we have more strikeouts, what then? Uh, I, I, Reggie, I think this is a little bit early to be jumping to conclusions. We It, it couldn't be earlier on here. No reason to panic.
1: But I love the fact, Reggie, that you're looking for meaning in these early games. I, I, I would uh, probably subscribe to what people always say to me, is, in that is small sample size. You know, let's get a little bit. The one thing I would say, I don't know if you guys saw this number from over the weekend. The first, I think it was eight days of spring training. The average game time, spring training uh, 2022, first eight days of games versus 2023, a reduction of 22 minutes per game. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's significant. You know that 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 is a crazy number.
0: Yeah, like Carl said, a, uh, MLB executives probably sharing high fives over those numbers. Uh, Chief Beef at Carl Hafick is up next. What are the chances that Felix Hernandez has throwing the league's last perfect take? Now with the way the pitch clock will be awarding uh, balls and the pace of play uh, can gas a pitcher much easier.
1: No, I Chief, I, I don't think that uh the pitch clock award, you know, the awarding balls, that's really gonna be a factor. I think the players are adjusting to the timing of this. I actually think it's gonna help them because I feel like that when you get these pitchers who want to roll, uh the pitch clock serves to their advantage. We saw that with Max Scherzer. And I'm imagining like a day game after a night game, you know, after you know, players play till you know 10:30 at night, go out, have some beers. Uh, you know, and then it's a sleepy getaway day. The next day, I could see a starting pitcher having a perfect game and under these conditions.
0: Aaron at a. A. Ron San Diego. Last one for today. He writes in, Eduardo Perez, with the greatest baseball rule change of all time, seventh inning or two hours is pure genius. Major League Baseball, you can still make this one happen by opening day. Aaron,
1: they can't make it happen by opening day. (laughs) I'll just answer that. (laughs) Uh, I just want to see where we're going. I think the sport's really in the right direction with these world changes.
0: Yeah, a lot of buzz. I think uh, Carl was right. Again, you know, we're praising Carl here. Uh, MLB in for a big season, and I'm happy that we are all along for the ride. So keep sending in those Bleacher tweets. Hashtag Bleacher tweets. We'll be back on Wednesday.
1: That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Tim, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.